us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, hey, it is now time for more of the last comic shop. That's right. Each week we open up our shop to folks that enjoy books from close to 20 years ago, movies that are uh over 13 years ago and <laughs> potential animes that uh just just came out last week wow yeah that is true uh it is one of our patented movie mayhems uh maybe because it's not in may though chad we'll call this movember is it movember can we say that movie Move-ember? only if it involved cows would we be able to get it with movember <laughs> I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, and I'm joined by uh, my wonderful co-host, Chad Smith. And of course, we are joined by a wonderful guest for this week. It's our friend, Bob. Welcome to the last comic shop, sir. How you been doing? Oh, doing excellent. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you guys for uh, having me on. I love talking movies, and uh, this movie happened to do with a comic, so I'm extra excited. There we go. Now... This I'm hoping this is a treat for you, Bob, because you get to talk about a good movie. <laughs> Bob, it should be known as a transplant from the worst movies ever made podcast. Did I get that right? Oh, you, you added an S. That's all you did. Ah, I'm from Pittsburgh. We go to Giant Eagles. It's the worst <laughs> movie ever made podcast. Bob, why don't you tell uh, our audience here what is the worst movie ever made podcast? It's a comedy podcast. It is not serious. But it's so much fun. We talk about the worst movies ever made. This season, the worst movie ever made was Hard Ticket to Hawaii. If you've ever seen it, you know how bad it is. If you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. I'm sure you can find it for free somewhere. Who's in? But uh, there's a soap star in it. Okay. And there are there are four Playboy Playmates from the 80s in it. And I can't name any of them by name because <laughs> no one would know who I'm talking about anyhow. <laughs> It's, it's not the movie with Peter Dinklage and uh, Matthew McConaughey. And what was that no one? that 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 did not win the worst movie of the season, Chad. Oh. <laughs> so, um, kind of similar to what you guys do, we pick a movie, we rate a movie, we 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 run it through a bunch of tests. We see like, is it in bad taste? Is it bad dialogue? Is it bad acting? All that kind of stuff. Then we compare it to other movies of the season, and then. To capstone the season, we always do a good movie at the end, just to kind of cleanse our palates a little bit. Very and cool. Most recently, we just redid uh, Halloween because we liked that movie, and we we wanted to talk about how good that was, and that was okay. the end of our last season. Very cool. Well, hopefully you're going to get out there and listen to Bob's wonderful podcast. Um, if you're a fan of Halloween, again, it was the Halloween season just a couple of weeks ago. So uh, that episode should still be available, right? I mean, these are these ever you consider this evergreen like the last comic shop podcast, Bob? Yes, evergreen. Bad movies are forever. That's true. So are the good ones. <laughs> They're usually the ones you remember longer. I'll say that much. But luckily for Bob, as Chad said, this is not a bad movie. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say it's great. (laughs) We're going to talk about Scott Pilgrim. That's right. As part of the Year of Chad. It was. I've been trying to sneak this one into our traditional movie mayhem slot for years now. Uh, Hasn't made it. But when we found out there's the Netflix show coming up, I was like, this is the time. And I'll be a thousand percent honest. I've only ever read the first book 
of Scott Pilgrim, the black and white one, which will be our topic here on today's show. But this was one of the shows where in advance of the show, I actually bought the rest of Scott Pilgrim. Around 2019, they released Scott Pilgrim, but this time around, they embiggened it slightly, and they uh, made a colorized version. So I actually got uh, all three volumes of that because I wanted to be able to compare the original black and white versus the color version versus the movie or the show that dropped last week, but uh, I have not had a chance to watch it. Well, but I will. Yeah, that's the nice thing about like Netflix and Disney Plus and all that stuff. You don't have to watch it right away. And, and again, I thought this was a good reason for covering Scott Pilgrim as well, because there hopefully folks have maybe either watched the movie previously or now watched this anime show. And now we're here to educate on the comic. And I hope, Chad, that part of your analysis does talk about the movement from black and white to color. You know, anytime they recolor comics, it's like, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but we'll get to that in just a second. Chad, why don't you hit us up with who created the Scott Pilgrim comic, Precious Little Life. So it's, yeah, he's not versus the world yet. No, that doesn't come until later. This is easy. It's written and drawn by Brian Lee O'Malley, who did the the lot of Scott Pilgrim all by his lonesome. And the uh, 10 cent synopsis of the first volume, Chad? <laughs> so basically, Scott is your uh, 20-something slacker who has a high school girlfriend who everyone in his life thinks is gross. Not the girl's gross, but the fact that he has a high school girlfriend is gross. Right, right. And then he uh, becomes infatuated with the Amazon delivery girl who just so happens to travel through his mind by a subspace. And so he sets off to find and meet this girl, and he does. And so... Once they establish a relationship, Scott uh, finds out that he's going to have to do battle with this girl's previous evil exes, and uh, that will carry us through the rest of the series. Again, it doesn't stray very far from the movie. That's what I'm going to kind of shift to Bob. I mean, he's our movie guy. And so, Bob, I I'm sure before this week's show, you did watch the movie previously, right? That's correct. I had watched the movie and I'm a big Edgar Wright fan. And I'll talk about that later when I talk about the movie. But it, regardless of the director, I, I thought it was a, a fun movie. And when I got the comic, I only read the black and white version first before preparation for the show. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it stuck to the story. It, it was very much the exact same as the movie in terms of the first book. And then it strays a bit because Chad lent me the other books. But the first book, yeah, it's very faithful. Okay. So simply put, did you find it like uh, as, a, as an easy read as a result? Well, to be fair, I'm not a comic reader. I read a lot uh, online and I read a lot of articles, but I don't read a lot of comics. And when I picked up the comic, it gave me a new voice to the characters because yeah, I knew Michael Sarah played the lead Scott Pilgrim, and I knew Brie Larson played the other big superstar character. But when I read the comic, I didn't put those voices in there. I didn't put those personalities in there because the faces, honestly, the drawings on the comic weren't as expressive as I would have liked for a graphic novel. Yeah, I, I did want to kind of comment on that. This particular comic does have artwork that would take a little bit of time to get used to, honestly, if you're used to looking on the newsstand and seeing the types of stuff from, I don't know, like Todd McFarlane or Jim Lee or something like that with the over-muscular superheroes and things like this. This is very much, uh, again, we often talk about a book on this particular show called Understanding Comics. 
And part of understanding comics is that the simpler drawings are, the easier it can be for people to relate to them. Because like you see a stick figure, like you're like, okay, that may be crude, but like you're able to follow the story because again, you're like, oh, I can draw a stick figure. I know how these things work. Now, I I wanted to ask you, like, did you find the artwork again, given it was kind of simple? Did you find that distracting or did you did you want something more? Um, no, what what it did was it, it it guided my eyes to the other corners of the frame. So like when they had a descriptor in the corner, like like Wallace, very gay roommate kind of thing, <laughs> like in the corner, my eyes went to that quickly before I turned the page because I was not as enthralled by the the facial expressions of the characters, for example, or for example, like, you know, the, the background of the scene. And then uh, I'll talk about the movie later, but uh, I'll give the director a lot of credit for honing into that. Yeah. I just to piggyback off of that. And I, I am a comic book guy. And for me, initially the, the black and white version of Brian Lee O'Malley's cartooning is a little bit tougher for me to, to wrap my brain around. Sometimes I kept being bothered because noses are just lines. For whatever reason that was freaking me out. <laughs> but as Bob mentioned, I, I also agree there's so many little details that are hidden in this like overly simplistic cartoony style, which that's not a knock as Andy was alluding to, like the, sometimes some of the best work is more cartoony because you can get more connection there. But uh, O'Malley, he puts so many little things into the panels and there's so much it's the word I'm looking for. I, I think the kids would call it a vibe. There's so much of a vibe within this book <laughs> and Edgar Wright, which we'll get into, does a, a, an awesome job of translating that. And dare I say, based off the first book, enhancing it. But uh, there's so, like, from the character t shirts to the little, you know, columns where they're talking about, you know, this is his rating and this is what happened. And like, there's so many little elements in here that the art, because of its simplicity, it's able to work in a way that uh, you might not expect it whenever you first see it. And I will say, too, it does borrow a lot more from the manga style right? than it does from traditional superheroes. So, like I said, even for me, somebody that's used to reading Capes books, it was an adjustment. But Well, one question I had for both of you is I think Chad started to allude to it with a manga-esque style. This is actually a book that I do recommend to folks that have never read comic books before. Why? Because there's a lot of parts of like kind of nerd culture all thrown into a soup in this particular comic book, right? They talk about the X-Men, they talk about video games, they talk about anime, they talk about manga, and all of it's kind of thrown together in kind of like this one big massive collection of gobbledygook, which is good because again, the simplistic style of the artwork you can then start feeling like, yeah, like this is seems like people I know. These are things I talk about. They're not just talking about comic books. They're not just talking about continuity, which I have I have no idea what's been going on in Batman in the last like 25 years. I, I know what Professor X is. I know what the X symbol means when he has it on his jacket. I That's cool because I, I wear stuff like that. So I, I sometimes recommend this book. But at the same time, I, when I was rereading it, this time around in preparation for today's show, I found that there were parts of it that are starting to get a little dated. And I don't know if that is a hindrance now to this particular book. So I wanted to throw it out to you guys. Do you feel like there was any part of this 
that was dated enough that like you couldn't give this to like a teenager, you know, a high schooler or something nowadays and be like, yeah, you'll get this. I'm, I'm going to say not yet because we're so connected to teenagers being middle school teachers. Nothing is too dated yet that the teenagers wouldn't be able to jump back to a little bit because like, for example, um, in the, in the movie, let's just say, for example, one of the characters is playing a Nintendo DS not too far removed from current culture. And then, of course, in the comic, they don't refer as much to technology or, like you said, X-Men or referring to any specific cultural touchstone that is very far removed. So, no, I don't think it's... I think it could happen. I don't think it's happened yet. Okay. Chad, any thoughts on that? I totally disagree. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. No, I definitely think this is something that is very much of its time. The thing that makes Scott Pilgrim great and the thing that elevates it over your your random run-of-the-mill comic book story is how much it captures the mindset of folks that, like us at this point, we're going to graciously or generously call middle-aged, right? But we grew up in the age of video games, we grew up with all these music references. There's a lot of little things here that like we see it. It's storytelling through references. And sometimes you can overdo it. And I feel like if you are not picking up the references that are in here, like this is fine. It's a perfectly you know solid story. But I don't know if it is as elevated. And the technology that does appear in here, whether it's, you know, emails, like there's references to emails. When's the last time a kid sent an email? <laughs> you know, like there are things about this that are going to make it of a time. Do I think they make it inaccessible? No, but I do I think they have the appeal for teens as it would for somebody in our age bracket? I don't think it does. I think that it's going to be a harder sell. That's actually one of the reasons why I think the movie didn't become the biggest thing okay. because there's a very specific age range why I think this is the appeal. And it's I think it actually skews a little bit younger than we are because it's so heavy on the, the manga stuff. But uh, that's the Achilles heel that would hold Scott Pilgrim back is if you are too young and hip, this is going to seem so old to you. Like, right. where are their cell phones? Yeah, the guy doesn't even know what Amazon is. And like, they, they deliver books. I remember that time when all you could get at Amazon was books and CDs. And eventually they got video games. I'm like, oh my God, I remember buying like God of War from Amazon. I thought it was the coolest guy ever. Cause I was just like, I got a video game from Amazon. And I, and I, to your point, Chad, I think I'm going to split the difference between you and Bob uh, in this. I feel like, This is a book where it's starting to get close to maybe being a little bit too dated for most people to read. But the cool thing about this is it's almost like a little bit of a time capsule, which eventually this particular era is going to become super cool like the 80s are now for teens. Like the teens love the 80s. Like they really do. Like they're like, oh, the 80s are early 90s. It's kitsch to go back. Make the Stranger Things reference to show how old we are. Exactly. That was like five years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. But to to be fair, my daughter is 27 years younger than me and this is one of her favorite movies slash comics. She's read it now. And like what, what did you say, Chad? Uh you mentioned the uh the email thing. She emails right. all the time. She's in college. She has to email. It's a necessity. To talk to the olds? 
exactly. It's just it's one of those things. And it, it, to Andy's point, it is a little kitschy. It's a, a little bit like, a, oh, I can I can relate to the old folks because they emailed and they they Amazon. But at the same time, it's not a giant leap for them to remember that Amazon only sold books. Like that's a quick, quick thing to like. Okay, Amazon only sold books, and the rest of the story just quickly merges in the rest. Uh, it, it, it you don't need to make a giant leap of uh, of trust to uh, to say okay, all this stuff is old school. No, it's just that's the one thing. Everything else still fits. Good point, Bob. So let's go ahead and get to ratings because we've got a movie review to talk about on today's program. So let's not waste any time. We've talked a little bit about this comic book, but now it's time to give it a rating scale. So Chad, given J.A. is not here today, why don't you give us the rating scale for the comic book of Scott Pilgrim? Uh, uh, Where's J.A. when I need him? (laughs) <laughs> oh man if only i could if i could call and order something from ja that's we'll go amazon delivery boxes there you go how many amazon delivery boxes do you think this is worth very cool i hope they don't get after me for the sound effect that sounds very similar to what alexa tells you when you have a package <laughs> but uh long story short we're gonna go ahead and start off with bob he is our guest so one out of four what are you rating the uh the comic book scott pilgrim well, based on the very few comics I've read, uh, if we're going out of four, I'm going to give it two and a half out of four Amazon boxes. Okay. I, I, I lean toward two boxes for the artwork because it is a little bit crude. And I lean toward the three for just the uh, the pacing. I like the pacing of the comic. I think I think it moves along without too many giant leaps. Yeah, I was going to ask you what, what you thought of like the dialogue. I particularly find the d- dialogue to be pretty snappy, and it actually yeah. kind of moves the whole thing forward. And as a movie guy, like I know that's always a big important thing for me is to have like snappy, snappy dialogue. So that's cool. Yeah. I think I'll go next then, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with this. I'm I think I'm gonna give it a, a two two point five uh, Amazon boxes uh, again. I'm not the biggest Scott Pilgrim fan out here. I really, I mean, I came to it late. I didn't read it at the time it was actually being released. I didn't read it until actually the movie came out. Um, And even after the movie came out, I was just like, meh. But I can appreciate what Scott Pilgrim does. This is a very accessible comic book. It is still one that I recommend that folks that don't read comic books check out because I feel like they're going to be able to relate to this story about this guy that falls in love with this, you know, manic pixie dream girl and needs to have her and stuff like that. And, And plus, it's got a lot of pop culture references. I mean, people... At a certain age, always had friends that were in bands. They always went to certain bars to see those friends in bands because people made them go. They had, you know, girlfriends that were like younger sometimes and people go, oh, well, you know, why is your girlfriend so young? All of these things I feel like are relatable and it doesn't involve capes and it doesn't involve a lot of continuity. So you can just jump in and you can enjoy Scott Pilgrim. Uh, I just don't really like the art as much. I just never, so it's like a 2.5, but it's still good. You should read it, Chad. Okay, so I'm going to say that my rating is a bit skewed just because not only did I continue reading, I continued reading with the the colorized version, which I think helped me quite a bit. Uh, Reading this in black and white, 
it took me a minute to wrap my head around the the Brian Lee O'Malley's cartooning, which isn't to say that it's bad. Like I said, there are lots of elements of it that really work, and the the background details are fine. The character work is really great, and you know this isn't the type of book I would normally read, but I found myself engrossed. Like I'm not you know traditionally out there for the relationship books, but this does that and it does it really well. However. I will say, when I read this back before the movie, I stopped after the first book. I'm like, all right, that's cool. And I put it down, right? And then I went and I watched the movie. I And we'll talk about this when we get to the movie review more in depth. I think the movie helped me to unlock things about this book that I wasn't picking up on. But I don't know if I get some of the, the nuances here if I don't have a Michael Sarah as Scott Pilgrim. If I don't have Edgar Wright and all the things that he brings to the table... Uh, helping me to process what's going on here. Just because so much of this was a departure from my element, I think Edgar Wright helps me to unlock that stuff. And then I went and I read more. And once I got the, the colorized versions, I read through the rest of the story. And I will tell you, whereas the first book is very faithfully portrayed in the movie, there's like a handful of differences. You know, Scott is a little bit older in the comic. Crash and the boys don't die like they do in the movie. Uh, they actually join in the fight and that kind of stuff. But for the for the most part, the movie is very faithful to the first book. But once you get past that, you get into the second through originally through the six books, uh, there are a lot of differences, enough to make the Scott Pilgrim comic experience a totally different thing from the Scott Pilgrim movie experience. And I'm also excited for the show because the show looks like it's treading on familiar ground, but I'm sure that Brian Lee O'Malley and company are going to find ways to make the anime experience its own thing too. And so the first book, I always just thought it was pretty good. I still stand by that. It's pretty good. The rest of it, I think is better and brings enough to the table uh, from the comic that I think it is definitely worth your time. I would recommend don't just read the first book, read through the whole thing. You'll get more out of it. If you know, if you love the movie, uh, you'll get more from the book. If you weren't crazy about the movie, like uh, Ethan, Andy's uh, brother and our uh, erstwhile uh, contributor here on The Last Comic Shop, swears by the books, and I can see why. But he has much more of a manga sensibility, so I'm wondering if that helped him to unlock the things that I missed the first go-around. So, with all that said, I'm going to say three out of four deliveries. It shows promise, and that promise delivers, much like an Amazon package, uh, later on if you follow through with the rest of it. Well, last question I have for you, Chad, is real quickly, do you recommend reading it in black and white or color for those folks that have a choice between both? Uh, for me, and this is my personal preferences, I thought uh, Nathan Fairburn, who comes on to do the coloring uh, job, he does wonderful work. And there are just there are little things about the black and white version that uh, were hidden to me without the colors. I mean, and you do lose a handful of jokes, like the fact that Ramona's hair changes color every three weeks. Yeah. Like, in the book, they're like, did you change your hair color? Like, and it's like, yeah, you can't tell it's in black and white. And the color <laughs> version, you know, you see the hair change, so it's less of a joke. Like, so you do lose little minor things here. But for me, the, the differentiation that the colorized version brings to the table, I think, makes that uh, a more worthwhile experience. However, the black and white came in those the manga-esque style digests mm -hmm. that are, you know, they're affordable. I don't want to say they're cheaply put together. They're, they're put together a fine product. You know what to expect from one of those manga digests. 
I got the, the color version, the box set. It's terrible. Terrible production. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm upset by this. The pages are fine, but the binding, there is like a quarter of an inch gap between where the, the pages are and the book spot. Oh. Um, but look at this part. Look at that gap between yeah, the that's, pages. Yeah, that's... That's just asking for that cover to come clean off. Eventually. Yeah, if that's if those pages are pressed up against there like a normal book, that doesn't happen. But yeah, well, maybe we'll get better versions once the uh, anime takes off. But we're gonna take off with our commercial first commercial break of this week's show. So we'll stay tuned for more of the last comic shop right after this for more movie Movember as we cover Scott Pilgrim versus the World, the movie. Stay tuned. Hey, it's Mikey Wood, frequent Last Comic Shop guest and collector. And as a collector, I'm always in need of boards, bags, long boxes, and more to house all those comics. That's why I use promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off my orders at bcwsupplies.com. Not only does it get me a discount on BCW's already low prices, but I know using LCSPOD at checkout is another way I can show my support to the Last Comic Shop podcast and their continuing mission to bring fans together under that big comic book tent. So if you're in need of comic book supplies, Head out to bcwsupplies.com and use promo code LCSPOD today. That's LCSPOD. Hello, friends. Do you like the 80s and Transformers? We are the Autopod Decepticast, and we started our podcast doing a minute-by-minute breakdown of the 1986 classic animated feature, Transformers the Movie. We've since moved on to an episode-by-episode review of the G1 series and just started Season 3. We have over 180 episodes, so if you're just discovering our show, there's plenty of gold to stuff into your ears. And it is very funny and fantastic. I'm not biased... We are on every podcast aggregator you could possibly stomach. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and our web presence is autopoddecepticast.com. We are at apoddecast on Twitter and all of the things. Autopod Decepticast, friends, for all your animated Transformer needs. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our Watch Pile Review. Yes, uh, it is a movie it's not watches. November. No, it's not about cows. Uh, it's not listen. about cows. We brought a movie guy on. Let's let the movie guy do the movie stuff. All right. All right. We do have Bob, who does a wonderful podcast about movies. And so I am going to ask him to grace us with who worked on and starred in Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which was the movie adaptation of the comic book we just discussed. Isn't there already a Movember? Like, isn't that already a thing? There is. That's why I was trying to ca- see you're smart. See, why would I come up with my own marketing when there's already a thing? I don't know. I just just piggyback on that. Any case. But that's cool mustaches. <laughs> Speaking of cool mustaches, Edgar Wright is our director <laughs> of this movie, and he is one of my favorite directors. He made Baby Driver, which is one of my top like 10 movies I've ever seen in my life. And um, he also directed Scott Pilgrim versus the world as one of his earlier attempt at a movie. Wow. It was beat uh, the Nick Frost and Simon Pegg stuff. But I want to say it was after Shaun of the Dead. All I know is this is early on in the Edgar Wright uh, canon. Uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world starred Michael Sarah as Scott Pilgrim, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona, 
Uh, we had Kieran Culkin show up uh, as Wallace, uh, which was was awesome. Uh, Anna Kendrick showed up. Aubrey Plaza showed up. Jason Schwartzman, thank goodness, showed up. And uh, Ellen Wong as Knives uh, showed up. Lots of good, uh, like, I hate to say B-level star power because they're not like, you know, they're not like the Chris Evans who who also shows up. Uh, but uh, they are, uh, in my opinion, uh, fantastic actors. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, let me have the time out before we talk more about the cast. I also just saw where Edgar Wright, he adapted The Adventures of Tintin. Yes. 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 I did see that. that yes. Deep cut. I didn't know that one. Most of the people in this movie are from comic book movies. Yeah. Right. Captain America, that one's easy. Who else is here? Brie Larson. Uh, Captain Marvel. Yeah. And we got Brandon Routh, who played Superman. Superman Superman Returns. And also is in the awesome Crisis on Infinite Earths adaptation that they did with all of the, like, Arrowverse shows, which was super cool. Like, that was cool that he came back as Superman in that. Yeah, he got to be Earth-1 Superman. And then we've got uh, Thomas J. The Punisher. Yes. From my favorite Punisher movie. That is the only good one. I don't even care that <laughs> that uh, John Travolta's in it. I love that movie. I really do. That's the best Punisher movie. Oh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She was also in a film I know Bob covered, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. <laughs> and she was the Huntress in The Birds of Prey with the Harley Quinn recently. See? Okay, 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 there it is. Connections yeah, made. all in there. So, uh, sorry, Bob, that was the cast. Uh, what can you tell us about the movie proper? What is our 10 cent synopsis? Here? All right, so we have this Scott Pilgrim, this Canadian post high school young adult. I'll go out on a limb and say punk rocker, even though he's not quite a punk rocker, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, and he is looking for love after have recently being heartbroken and is currently dating a high schooler, but finds a love who seems to have a checkered pass, which involves seven evil exes, which is different than the book, because the book says ex-boyfriends. Um, and then, of course, Scott battles the evil exes in a series of exciting, very comic-like uh, confrontations. And the movie ends as the movie should end, because it's a Hollywood ending. Scott ends with the girl of his dreams. As one does. As one does. So I'm going to start off with my initial thoughts. As I said earlier in the show, I found this movie kind of mid. I'm not going to say it's a bad movie. I'm not going to say it's a good movie. It's a mid movie. It's a, it's a movie that's like, if you don't want to watch a comic book movie, but then you do want to watch a comic book movie, you should watch Scott Pilgrim. It's got all the comic book tropes, but it doesn't have to deal with anything like, you know, superheroes or running around with like, you know, any continuity from like DC or Marvel. It's just kind of like there. And honestly, uh, some folks say that it's like uh, it's it's a comic book movie. I honestly think it's more of a video game movie. Um, I think some of the battles, especially in this, uh, lean more into being, um, you know, video game inspired than being comic book inspired. Like, you know, when the evil exes die, you get coins. Uh, he levels up at one point and his stats go up. It's like that traditional boss battle. Like, you know, you have to bite the fight the guys outside the doors and then you get in. And then usually the boss is at the top of a staircase and you have to walk up to him and you fight him up there. And even there's a part at the end where, where knives and Scott fight because they were playing a video game earlier. Like, I think this is more for the video game culture, honestly, than the comic book culture. 
And so from my perspective, man, oh. I don't know. I, who wants to put me in my place? I do. I do. I do. So. I, I feel like I feel like we're going to agree. So go ahead. Okay, so yeah, we can we can tag team this one. So Andy, you're not wrong in that this is a video game movie, uh, but you're also totally wrong in saying it's not a comic book movie because it's both. It takes the violence from video games and from manga. It marries that with a, a quirky sensibility, uh, and there are so many little jokes. Whether it is, you know, the pee bar when he's going to the bathroom, which is taken directly from the comic books. Whether it is the vegan police. Like, how hilarious was that, where he defeats one of the evil exes with coffee creamer? Uh, but there's so many things that are of the culture of comic books, video games. But instead of being Ready Player One, where you have all those things, and you're like, oh, that happened, and that happened, okay, cool. This one wraps it up in a story with heart to it. This wraps things up into a story that actually feels like it matters. And, and that's the big difference, I think. Like, I think it is a comic book movie, and I think it is a video game movie, and I think it is a manga movie, and it's all of those things at the same time, which is why I was shocked when it came out in 2010. Like, this was right on the heels of Batman Dark Knight and Iron Man, and, like, comic book movies are the biggest thing in the culture, and here this is. This isn't just taking comic book movies. It's folding all the rest of that stuff in, you know, with this killer cast. I don't know. What did you think, Bob? I'm going to go reverse timeline that Mr. Smith just went on. Uh So (laughs) my daughter was born in 03 and this came out in 10. Her and her friends relate to this movie more so than most movies that came out in their own generation. And I'm not sure why, but (laughs) it just, it just hits them. They just, they, they relate to it. They point to it as a movie of their generation, not of our generation. which is interesting to me, but also think about, I've talked about this with Chad before. When you, when you talk about our kids cultural touchstones, yeah, they have stuff that came out when they were young, but also they have such access to things that have happened decades and decades before, which we didn't have that access to. Like I was just talking about this uh, the other day. Like I didn't have access to eighties hip hop in the nineties until I was in the 2000s because of just Napster and all those other things that came out. So now they have all the access to those things. They can kind of see it as their own generation if they relate to it. So speaking of that, I do agree with you, Andy, 100% video game. But coins come down when they when they uh, defeat the enemy. That was in the comic. That was a straight taken from the comic. And then... Here's something you don't see in comic book movies. Like you don't see in Marvel movies captions on the screen saying ring when the phone's ringing and labeling all the things in the apartment that belong to Wallace and to to Scott Pilgrim. And you do see that in this movie, which makes this movie more of a comic book movie because it feels like more of a comic than it does a Marvel movie. Marvel movies don't feel like comics. They feel like events where this feels like a more of a melding of a comic and a movie, in my opinion. No, f- fair enough. And I mean, I, I, I will give credit to the Edgar Wright direction. I mean, I, I will say that that's the strong point of this movie. I think that's where I 
and this is a movie I've watched more than once, and it's because of the tremendous Edgar Wright direction. And, and to your point, like the the kind of attention to detail, and you know, with the 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 way that sound effects appear, and are, it's just very um, bombastic, almost like again, comic books are supposed to be. I, I will say this: I think I, I'm not a fan of Michael Sarah in this movie at all. I don't think he was the correct guy to play. Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim seems, he seems nerdy for sure. Uh, he seems a little awkward, but there's an edge to him. Michael Sarah never had an edge in his life. Even in these scenes where he's like really super pissed and he's like, I'm going to play this guitar really loud. I'm like, no, you're Michael Sarah. Like you don't play <laughs> guitars loud. The most you play is maybe a trombone quietly like that's that's the best you do michael sarah you look like you need to eat a sandwich (laughs) like just one of those things where i don't think that was the right casting in a movie where all the other casting is pretty freaking brilliant um again to the vegan police that's thomas j who's played the punisher shows in as a vegan police he has that intensity that's what you want brandon ralph he just oozes like jerk offness uh as the guy the the other bassist uh yeah. even natalie who plays um you know scott's ex i think right has that vicious mean girls kind of thing going on uh but also some vulnerability at the end and knives is wonderful actually knives is better in the movie than she is in the comic book she's a much more fleshed out character and i could see why like eventually you know uh, scott would have to make a difficult choice um between uh, ramona and knives because they're both oh my gosh like if you had that choice i don't know if you could lose michael sarah oh. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm gonna agree with andy in saying that the casting was better overall and sarah was my least favorite character but here's the thing and i'm gonna i'm gonna argue against both of you scott pilgrim is not a likable character scott pilgrim is michael sarah Nobody likes Michael Sarah, but he's that slacker. He's that kid who didn't read the email, you know, that his roommate is like, yeah, didn't you, didn't you see that letter that he's going to come and fight you? Like, he's not the one who's doing the research. I thought Michael Sarah's performance actually unlocked things for me about Scott Pilgrim that I hadn't picked up on in the book. And then whenever I went back and finished the book, there were things I was able to quantify because of his performance that I probably wouldn't have ascribed to, uh, you know, the lead of my of a story that I'm reading just because usually my leads like and, and Scott Pilgrim is competent, but he's not heroic in any way, shape, or form. Like he's he's a very flawed dude. If you cast Scott Pilgrim as somebody who was traditionally handsome, I don't think it works. You no, can't work I, with somebody I, like that. No, I don't agree either with that. I don't think you can pet cast him as somebody that that is good looking but i will say that you have to cast somebody that has an edge to them because to your point like he's not a hero but he's kind of badass a little bit at least a little bit i mean to the point where like yeah he's a slacker yeah he doesn't read his emails but it's because he's kind of like no i don't need to do this stuff like he's kind of like that one guy in in class where you're like doesn't he do any any homework ever but you kind of want to be him. You're kind of like, well, I don't want to do homework. Why can't I be like Scott? 
Scott Pilgrim is every guy I knew in high school that was in a punk rock band, right? Yeah, like, were how is that guy getting that girl? There's no reason he should get that girl. Bob, back me up. Come on, Bob. I'm, I'm, I'm going to. It's a. He's the bass player. He's not cool. Here's my casting choice: Adam Devine. That's my casting choice. Yeah, I, I think get behind that. People don't like him, but they like him. Or maybe like he's too old, but Glenn Howerton uh, from uh, AP Always Psych Sunny. and Always Sunny, he's the kind of character. He's a little too old for this part, but I think he's also the kind of character like he's cool, but mm, there's also an edge to him. I feel like he's that's a little too cocky. I don't think you can have somebody that's like a cocky Scott Pilgrim. You need somebody that's like, why do you why do you have any confidence at all? You know, <laughs> you're that's Michael freaking Sarah. I'm going to go back then, Chad, and say you didn't disagree with Adam Devine. What do you think? Honestly, and this is going to, I just think he's too traditionally good looking. <laughs> like he plays the nerdy guy. <laughs> That's you like are, saying that's like saying we're traditionally good looking. Come on. <laughs> no, he's he's a handsome dude who's just has a, a, a weird personality. I don't think it comes through as well as Michael Sarah. Like you look at Michael Sarah and you're like, oh, that's not that's not natural. And that's what you need for Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> so, I mean, you're agreeing with me that you look at him and you're like, ah. You Absolutely, know, but that's what makes him great. You know who would have been a little bit better? And I think he's of the same generation. Uh, who was the guy that played eventually played Lex Luthor? He was also in Zombieland. Um, yeah, Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg would have been a better Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, uh, like Michael I, Sarah. No, I, I feel I feel like he's the same as Sarah. I feel like he the, he'd be the same as Sarah. I, I go with my choice. Okay. <laughs> Listen, right. if you don't have Michael Sarah, who which I didn't bring this up, the reason we have the Scott Pilgrim anime is because Michael Sarah is Scott Pilgrim. He replied to a ten year old uh, email chain with a meme that was like, "That's funny," and that got everybody from the cast talking again. <laughs> They got the wheels in motion, so now we have this anime on Netflix. Oh. It doesn't happen without oh, random, charming Lordy. Michael Sarah Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> He's too weird to be canceled. Nobody subscribed to that guy in the first place. Michael Sarah. <laughs> All right. He's gonna well, we gotta get the banana ratings, stand. We 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 could have talked about this for a while. So uh Bob, would you like to give us a rating scale for the movie Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Yeah, I think it's a perfect a rating scale. It's the number of girl drummers. Oh yeah, there's a lot of girl drummers in this movie. It's hard for me to say. I don't. I have, I have speech issues where I can't say girl drummers very easily. So <laughs> I got. I got girl about. Drummers. I got about one more in me before I before I I, I throw in the towel. So right. I I will say um, honestly, my, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they are on the swing set in the snowstorm and they're talking about their their histories and their you know, the relationship and there's that door with a star on it because it's so directly related to the comic the comic has that exact scene in it and they do it so well in the movie and they both hold hands and float off to this door with a star on it i think that's brilliant and i'm going to give the movie a three girl drummer out of four rating all right uh chad you're up next mine's going to be a lot more long-witted than bob's uh, I'm going to warn you in advance. So you, Andrew, had brought up earlier Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, which for comic book fans, it's like one of the must-read books. But in there, Scott McCloud goes in-depth on 
what makes a movie experience different from a comic book experience uh, versus reading a novel. And a lot of it is, you know, what things you're, you as an audience member are expected to do, right? Like in comic books, there are panels, there are gutters there, you know, you're filling in the blanks, you're adding your own voices, your own sound effects, your own, like, there's a lot that you have to do with that, that you don't do in a movie, but in movies, you get other experiences as part of it as well. Anyway, this is one of the few examples of a movie that is a wonderful movie. It is an entertaining movie. You do not need to have ever touched Scott Pilgrim and his precious little life or any of the other comic books that it's based off of to have a great time watching the Scott Pilgrim movie. Simultaneously, Scott Pilgrim versus the world is also a great representation of comic books and what comic books can bring to the movies. Where it takes those things, those little quirks that you can do in a comic book that you can't do anywhere else because you have the combinations of words and pictures. And it does that, whether it's, you know, things like the the P-bar, whether it's things like the labels for all the stuff in the apartment that belongs to Wallace versus the one poster that Scott's, you know, those little visual gags. They're all translated in the movie perfectly. It's one of the best comic book to movie adaptations, I think. And then we also touched on the video game culture. There's so many parts of that this movie does really well. And it's so hard for a, for a film to do one of those three things. Like Bob brought up the Marvel movies and how they're not really comic book movies as much as they're event spectacle movies. And you're not wrong. This, I feel like, is a comic book movie it is a video game movie and it's a damn good edgar wright movie movie from every element from the casting to the soundtrack to you know the script everything about it works that's why i'm gonna say this movie gets four out of four girl drummers wow it's hard to follow that. I mean, that passion here in the year of Chad. Um, I mean, about 2.5 girl drummers, uh, just like I did for the comic book. Just simply because I'm not the biggest fan of the comic book. I'm not a biggest fan of the movie. They're both wonderful things, and I think people should watch them. There's a lot of good moments in uh, the movie that I really like. Like, again, my favorite moment of the movie is probably at the Battle of the Bands where they got the two twin guys or whatever and they throw out the magic dragons and then he's like, oh, I'm going to play my bass and make this giant, like, King Kong kind of monster. And they battle. And, like, the, the two sounds, you know, fighting against each other. That's really great. That's like an encapsulation of a feeling, a mood, how you feel sometimes when, you you know, you're listening to music and your music versus other people's music. I hate to say it. But again, the guy playing the bass is Michael Sarah, And like, he's not badass at all. So he should not be able to conjure up King Kong. He should not be able to conjure up anything other than maybe a butterfly or some sort of bagel. He's, he doesn't have that charisma, that charm. I don't think he does, honestly. And he's the weakest part of this movie. And because Michael Sarah is in this movie playing this freaking role, which could have been cast much better, it's never going to be a three. It's never going to be a four. It's going to be a 2.5 because you have Michael Sarah as the lead. And you have to look at him for two hours being Man. a milksop. Hate to say it. Hate <laughs> to say it. Hey, I never got that in my favorite scene. 
I met this girl. She looks like this, and he holds up the picture, which is just the scrawl of Ramona's hair. And people, like, oh yeah, she was here. Yeah, I think she's she just moved from New York, and like everybody immediately identifies Ramona by, based on this hair scrawl, which was drawn by Brian O'Malley, by the way. The only thing I wish I had was Michael Sarah's collection of T-shirts because he did have an awesome set of T-shirts in this movie. Yeah, the four and a half one. Oh. I still want that t-shirt. Any case, we'll be right back with that more of The Last Comic Shop. We're going to be wrapping up with recommendations as well as more information on where you can find Bob's podcast. So stay tuned. Greetings from the depths. Uh, no way I can keep that up, the whole commercial. Hey, last comic shop fans. My name is Winston Gambro, and I make comic books. My latest comic is called Haunted House, A Love Story. It's a story of love, grief, and horror. A sentient house falls in love with its sole residence. However, this joy is short-lived when the house is forced into a forbidden love triangle and seeks vengeance. If you want a copy of the six-issue miniseries, you can have your local comic shop order Haunted House, A Love Story from Blood Moon Comics. Also available at winstongambro.com. That's W-I-N-S-T-O-N-G-A-M-B-R-O. And I'll get you a copy. Thanks so much for listening. Back to the show. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it's now time for recommendations. Yes, that wonderful time of every single show where we give you other comic books that you can pick up at your local comic book shop. In addition to Scott Pilgrim, Volume 1, or maybe the complete collections, I don't know, in color that Chad says. Hopefully yours won't be, like, droid or horribly mangled like he got All his. the reviews on Amazon talk about how crappy the books are coming in because <laughs> of the way that we're designed. It's a great content, but the packaging... Ah! Alright. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and start off with Chad Smith. Because even if it's the year of Chad, I want to hear what other books he has that folks should check out, in his opinion. Okay, so uh, Scott Pilgrim was something that was just totally fun and out of left field. And once I was done, I picked up the Fantastic Four series that's been coming out uh, for the past year or so. It's written by Ivan North uh, with art from Ivan Coelho. And each issue of this series is either a done-in-one or part of a two-part storyline, exploring the Fantastic Four and their relationships with each other. And the basic gist, in the first issue, there is a, a big world threat, and Mr. Fantastic solves it. But in the process, makes the Baxter building and all the people in it, including the Thing and Alicia's children, and Mr. Fantastic and Sue Storm's children, disappear for a year. So they will reappear eventually, but there will be one calendar year where they are gone from the lives of the people in the Fantastic Four. Now, when the kids reappear, it'll be like, no time has passed, blah, 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 blah. But everybody gets real mad at Reed for making this choice. And so it's about the Fantastic Four who's fractured, coming back together. Uh, but each issue is like a done-in-one or a two-part story. Um, there's one where there is a town filled with Doombots. And these Doombots, their one purpose is to protect this old woman who had been kind to Victor Von Doom. At one point in his life. And so, like, you have Doombots, whose jobs are to be the waitress at the cafe, and Doombots, who are there to help bag groceries and all this stuff. There's, you know, an issue where you meet uh, Aunt Petunia, and they stay at Aunt Petunia's house. The most recent issue I read, 
the Fantastic Four gets swapped with the universe where uh, everyone is dinosaurs. Yes! So whereas the Fantastic Four people, the Avengers are dinosaurs, and they show up and they fight, as superheroes do when those things happen, and then eventually Reed figures out how to communicate with them. All is well until we get to the the climax of the book or the last page, and uh, a certain Fantastic Four bad guy shows up in his dinosaur form. And chaos ensues. But each story is fun like that. It's it's old school comic book storytelling where you get a satisfying chunk of a story in an issue, but it also is also playing on this long form soap opera storytelling. And if you like the Fantastic Four, even if you don't like the Fantastic Four and you just miss old school comic books like they were in the 60s and 70s, I highly recommend you track down this series. Ryan North, Ivan Quell, Alex Ross on covers, beautiful yeah. covers. And you should see those uh, those Alex Ross covers when they go to the dinosaurs and there's like the dinosaur Avengers and you see this di- this dinosaur wearing like a Thor hat. <laughs> I, I bought the issue just for that because I was just like, that's fine. Here's my money. Take it. <laughs> you deserve it. Um, the whole book is like that. It's silly, fun, fun stuff. So yeah, my recommendation is also going to be on the Marvel tip, and it's specifically for folks that maybe are coming to the show like Bob that are looking for comic books that they can pick up that are in nice small chunks, uh, but tell awesome stories. Uh, and there was a great one that was released, uh, I think it's two or three years ago now, that uh, kind of capstoned some storylines that were going on in Donnie Cates's Credible Hulk at the time, as well as his Thor run. Uh, and these two characters smash in a great story called Hulk versus Thor Banner of War. Just a little bit of background on where Thor and Hulk have been during those Donny Kate runs. The Bruce Banner ego was basically driving the Hulk like it's a giant mech, like Voltron. To say it, mm-hmm. I don't know how else to explain it, but like he's got like a little tiny banner in his head that's driving the Hulk like it's like a battle tank or something, feeding it with anger so they can beat up the foes that have, have wronged him or something. I don't know. And, and Thor, on the other hand, he's become the, uh, the king of Asgard, and his father, Odin, uh, has become his hammer, and they talk to each other. But long story short, that's all the setup you need. The rest of it is just an awesome battle. Both of those characters get thrown off into uh, a death zone that was built into the decapitated hand of a celestial on some planet. And the greatest thing about this is they swap places. Thor gets Hulk powers. The Hulk gets to pick up Mjolnir and gets Thor powers. And then they continue to fight. It's so wonderful. With great art by Martin... Kokolo and uh, even Daniel Warren Johnson, who we've talked about on many, many shows, he comes in at the tail end of this to help Donny Cates kind of wrap things up. Uh, so if you just like battles, kind of like Scott Pilgrim, pick up this Hulk versus Thor Banner of War, five issues, wonderful stuff. Bob. Okay. So I didn't think I owned any comics until I looked at my. A bookshelf and i realized i did own uh the tick uh the naked city this is a collection of comics not necessarily a, an actual release of an, a, an individual comic it's not quite the origin story of the tick it seems like the early stages of the ticks uh herodom 
uh, where he is kind of trying to figure out his place in the world. Uh, he meets Arthur, his sidekick, for the first time. He also meets a very Clark Kent-like character that uh, has a name very similar to Clark Kent. And it seems to be a, a send-up a send of uh, a Superman comics a little bit, but it also its own little story of the ticks just being extremely super awesome and defeating ninjas and uh, meeting other superheroes that can't defeat the ninjas as easily as he does and kind of understanding his powers and understanding his awesomeness but also being completely ignorant of uh of his own powers and his own awesomeness and the world around him it's fun <laughs> uh ben edland does everything it seems like he writes and draws is that correct yes that's awesome i love his artwork i think his uh expressions and the characters are super funny i think his writing is super funny and i recommend the tick to anyone on the planet earth because if you don't think it's funny then you're wrong you are wrong <laughs> yeah no, I, mean, I, I second that one too that's one of my favorite uh comedic books when when the ninjas are stalking outside uh they have to disguise themselves they pick up branches and they become a, a bush people walk past like quiet we're a shrubbery and like it's just it's hilarious <laughs> yeah well how that didn't get worked into the year of chad i i have no idea maybe this is one of your leftovers for next year <laughs> there we go maybe he actually goaded me to come into this podcast just so i could shove it in for him <laughs> that's right that's true <laughs> it was not planned but it should have been <laughs> oh lordy well one thing that's always planned is more episodes of the last comic shop and you can always check us out every single week over at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com it's a terrific website where you can rate review and subscribe to all of our shows over 150 episodes evergreen available for you and your ear holes that's yeah, what they are the ear holes. that's <laughs> what they are and some other wonderful things that you can stick in your ears happens to be another wonderful podcast run by our friend bob so bob tell us where they can find your podcast every single week so we're on uh spotify youtube all the different places you can find podcasts we are the worst movie ever made we talk about bad movies and good movies uh we talk about bad comic book movies like spawn and <laughs> i was gonna ask what was the worst one we didn't like Tank Girl very much, but we've done more comic book movies than I can list quickly. So I'll, I'm going to go on a limb and say Spawn might be the worst one. Okay. Uh, the, I, I hear they're the making a new one. Is that is that true? There's been talks for years. The creator of Spawn wants to get a new movie made that he's going to finance himself, which could only end wonderful <laughs> yeah but i think jamie fox has been tied to the role or maybe is the spawn can i don't know yeah but you guys go deep on the worst uh movie ever made you did the phantom we did the phantom the phantom Ooh, was better than spawn that, that's billy a zane? good one i like the phantom maybe maybe i just like billy zane that much maybe that's all it is <laughs> <laughs> he's too uh, handsome to be scott pilgrim that's for sure he is way too handsome very the, the, cool. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the last comic shop podcast this week. I know I'll be checking out your podcast as well. Um, because yeah, I want to hear about what the worst movies ever are. Yeah, and you haven't checked it out. I pop up from time to time in their Marvel corner where they talk <laughs> about movies that aren't the worst and will occasionally ask trivia questions. Very cool. And until next week, I was the host with most Andy Larson. I'm joined by Chad Smith and Bob Hasick. 
And until next week, stay safe, stay warm, and remember to never trust atoms because they make up everything. <laughs> uh, I didn't warn Bob that you like that on one of those terrible dad jokes. <laughs> hey, they're not bad. They're just misunderstood. You're going to say that same thing about Michael Sarah. Like, oh, he's oh, just we, misunderstood. Oh, we understood it just fine. <laughs> he's super bad. It's not good. Oh, at all. man. Oh, oh that's. Comic Shop was a 2023 Black Anders production.